This is the Tuesday, March 30th edition of Daily Wager Podcast. We're wrapping up the Elite Eight today and talking some NBA as well. A handful of our favorite plays from tonight's slate. And like always, we'll get you in and out in under 10 minutes with everything you need to know. Welcome to the Daily Wager Podcast presented by DraftKings, America's top-rated daily fantasy app. I'm Doug Kazarian, joined by Tyler Fulgham. And Tyler, before we get into tonight, how about the point spread drama in both Elite Eight games last night? Yeah, I mean, uh, let's start with Oregon State and Houston. I was, like many, all over Oregon State in the first half. That looked like it was drawing completely dead, but Oregon State in the second half rallies. I know the Beavers didn't win, but as far as I'm concerned, Doug Gazarian, they got the dub because they were able to get it within six there against Houston late, winning that second half by 11 points after being outscored by 17 in the first half last night. So gladly take that one. And then the Arkansas-Baylor matchup. Baylor um, being able to cover that one wing by nine with a, with a couple of late buckets there. I, I had Arkansas in the um, uh, points when I was taking a side. I did think the uh, game would go over, which it did. So I was happy with that. But uh, certainly some uh, drama, even though the games weren't necessarily close in as far as straight-up winner is concerned. Drama as far as the markets were concerned. Yeah, the Beavers hit that three in the final 10 seconds. It's crazy because they were down close to 20, but then they tie it with less than four minutes to go. So both sides ready to complain about a bad beat. (laughs) But uh, you got that quote-unquote meaningless three down the stretch, which is pretty funny, all things considered. So Oregon State closes the year covering 14 of its last 15. So well done, incredible run. But Houston uh, cuts down the nets, as does Baylor. Uh, and the Bears cover at the end. A lot of uh, drama there, second half line as well. So a lot of fun, uh, not even to mention the the, the uh, UConn game. You and I were talking before we started taping. Uh, that was crazy with the no foul. But let's turn the page, look to tonight's action. And uh, we've both basically been on this USC team. We think it's going to be Gonzaga's biggest test. Yeah, I, I do think even if Gonzaga completes their mission, goes undefeated and wins a national championship, I think the most difficult test they're going to face on that journey, on that road, is this matchup with USC, with Evan Mobley specifically, what he can do dominating the paint. And that's what makes Gonzaga's offense so good is Drew Timmy uh, is so good around the rim with his footwork. Jalen Suggs can get to the rim. They have so many guys that can just get easy buckets in the lane or get there and create easy shots for other players on the uh, perimeter. And USC defends the paint as well as anyone in the country with Mobley and Andy Enfield's defense. So, I'm going to take USC plus the points, eight and a half right now. It's starting to feel a little public the way that Florida State was over the weekend, but I really do think USC has the um, has the ability to go all the way. If they beat Gonzaga tonight, I wouldn't be completely shocked. I think, like I said, it's going to be the toughest test the Zags face. How are you feeling about USC? Are you, are you getting concerned, Doug, about how popular they're becoming at this number? Yeah, move from nine and a half to eight and a half. Obviously not a key number, but – uh, notable move, especially a Gonzaga team that's been trucking opponents and covering the, uh, their tournament games. I, I do like USC. Look, Gonzaga, I've said all along, I've talked to some really sharp guys. They've opened my eyes. The biggest weakness for them is rim protection. And I think USC has the bigs, the athleticism around the rim. The, the, the Bulldogs wins earlier this year over kind of top-tier teams like Iowa and Virginia. They don't have the athletic bigs that some of these other teams present. So uh, I think Gonzaga's like competition really gets tougher starting here, I, I even when I mapped out uh, my final four, I uh, 
in my bracket, I, I anticipate this matchup carrying a lot. I think the Trojans will score at will. I mean, Zags give up points around the rim. They just take the ball out of the hoop and try to run and score. I mean, their <laughs> offense is elite. Now, USC's been trucking opponents, too, this postseason. They've been great. We know about the Pac-12, what they've done. Andy Enfield, 10-0, ATS all-time in the tournament, best all-time mark. Uh, obviously, goes back to his Florida Gulf Coast days. I My play, official play on this is the first half over. If the Zags do continue this kind of beatdown of opponents, you wonder if the second half just – kind of grinds to a halt like we've seen recent uh, Gonzaga games. Even some of the games yesterday, Baylor really taking the air out of the ball with six minutes to go. So I prefer the first half over in that regard. I do like USC. Eight and a half is my cutoff point. Not eight, though. I would not do eight. I just You need that extra hook, as we learned <laughs> yesterday. Every sure. little half point matters. So uh, And then there's always the live wagering options as well. Let's talk about Michigan-UCLA. I've been riding this Bruins team a little bit, but I'm a little concerned it's fool's gold uh, in, in terms of just who they've played. Abilene Christian, I thought BYU was right. way overseeded, and Alabama couldn't make a free throw. So I'm a little worried that this could be uh, not that exciting of a game. How are you seeing it? Yeah, I would lean Michigan if I played a side, but I'm looking at the total, and I do think 136 is a little low. Even though neither team plays at a breakneck pace, they're pretty efficient offense. Michigan has averaged 81 points per game in this tournament, and that's without Isaiah Livers. UCLA has averaged 70 points per game in regulation. They've had two overtime games as well where they scored 80-plus points. And against Abilene Christian, the best defensive team in this tournament by many metrics, they scored 67 points. They can shoot it from deep at 37%. Michigan can as well at 38-plus percent. So I think 136 is a little bit too low because I do think Michigan is going to drive the pace for UCLA to a little bit quicker as they play catch up. I think Michigan wins. So I think in the second half, especially UCLA won't be drained as much uh, time out of the clock because they'll need buckets quickly. So the possessions will become a little more frenetic. So 136 just seems a little bit too low for two teams that are averaging when you combine their totals north of 150 points in this tournament. Yeah, this line came down to six and a half. If it gets to six, I'm in, I'm in on Michigan. I still kind of lean in that way. I think the Wolverines have too much size. I actually like a Dickinson points prop over 13 and a half. Love what the Bruins have done. They know their identity. McCronin's had some interesting comments just saying that we trust each other, things like that. I, they go through Haquez. They go through um, Juzang as well. Uh, they just play solid. I just wonder if Michigan is just that much bigger and that much more solid. So I would lay the six and a half if I had to. I like the Dickinson prop and uh, maybe even a team total to follow your uh, lead there, 71 and a half for the, uh, for the Wolverines. But uh, this one seat, we, we, we just, you know, men thought they'd be bounced early with <laughs> right. the livers injury, but here they are. Yep. Um, maybe one win away from facing Gonzaga. We'll see about that. Light card in the NBA. Um, I like the Hawks getting six and a half. Look, I'm on the Suns team to win the Pacific at plus 800 or so, then 550 and five to one. They just kind of don't bury teams. Uh, it's six now with the uh, Hawks. I'm okay at six. There's a couple six and a half still out there in the market. I see one at FanDuel right now. Six, I wouldn't go lower than six, but I just feel like it's this, this Hawks have been really much more impressive since the coaching change. They got smacked by the um, Nuggets. I think it was just an altitude road trip thing. Yeah. I think we got a good bounce back performance from, uh, from Atlanta here. Uh, obviously, they lost to Sacramento and the Clippers. So they basically like won the games they're supposed to during this run. I mean, it's like Thunder, Cleveland, Rockets, you know, just like not that impressive. But I think they keep this within the number. Six would be my cutoff point. Well, kind of a, a correlation play to that, uh, since you like the underdog with the points, is I like the under in this game. 220 and a half seems a little bit too high for two teams that don't play 
at a fast pace. They're 22nd or slower in terms of pace. We know how good Phoenix is defensively, fourth in defensive rating. And the, the Hawks have gotten much better defensively under Nate McMillan, um, allowing 104.7 points per game since McMillan took over. They were allowing 113.1 while they had Lord Pierce at the helm. So I see this being a 105-100 type of game, no matter who wins. I think both teams are going to kind of be under that 110 benchmark because the Suns like to move at a glacial pace and they're so good defensively. Trey Young doesn't play as fast as you would think. The Hawks don't play as fast as you would maybe think given Trey Young and his ability. Um, but Chris Paul is such a tough matchup for their best offensive weapon. And I think he's going to have a kind of a, uh, a, a, not a bad night, but a less efficient night, so to speak. So under 220 and a half is my play. I like that one uh, most in the NBA. All right, just to put a bow on it, we have a couple uh, more ladies' games tonight. I mean, it's hard not to like Vic Schaefer and Longhorns plus eight and a half. We'll just see if there's a hangover there. I'm not sure. And uh, gosh, Louisville catching ten and a half is tempting as well. And uh, by the way, Tyler, we got to talk about the Sabers real quick. They were up three nothing in the third period, on the verge of snapping their 17 game losing streak. They give up three goals in the third period, losing overtime. They were minus 2,500 on the money line at Caesars William Hill. The comeback was 11 to one, and the 11 to one cashes. So wow. that's pretty <laughs> painful. 18 straight. The Sabres back on the ice tomorrow. Maybe we'll discuss that, have a play on that in the podcast or daily wager, but we're six Eastern all week on the tube, except for Thursday, which is opening day. So we are on at 11 a.m. Eastern to set the table for uh, baseball and yep. Baseball season snuck up on everyone, but we'll be ready to rock until then. We'll catch you back here on the podcast tomorrow.